I really love research. I love the research part. And at some point during the research, it stops being me taking factual notes and starts being me having a conversation. Hello, and welcome to Arts in AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I'm here with Roxanne Fay, who is an actress and a playwright and a one-woman show performer and also a grantee for Creative yes. Pinellas Professional Artist Award. Yeah. Roxanne, welcome. How Thank are you? Thank you. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Is it always one-woman shows that you write? No. I the, the most recent thing I wrote was called Fabrication, and it was a commission by the Dolly. Most of my shows are written to highlight an exhibition at the Dolly that's happening at that time. And the fabrication was written to complement the exhibition on Elsa Scaparelli, the surrealist fashion designer who partnered with Dolly. And, and I wrote a play that was a surreal conversation between her and her, her really bitter rival, Coco Chanel, because they moved in the same circles. They were working at the, the height of their careers at the same time. And then the war happened, and Chanel was able to adapt after the war, but Scaparelli really couldn't, and the world was not ready to to go back to something as, as I don't want to say frivolous, but as animated and bright and mm-hmm. daring as Scaparelli. Mm-hmm. So she really fell off the face of the earth after the mm-hmm. war. She went bankrupt and had to close. So I did this surrealist conversation between them, and it was surreal because Scaparelli is still alive, but Chanel had died the day before. In the play that you wrote? Yeah, yeah. It's all based in fact, but then the fact gets kind of twisted around about the nature of their competition, the nature of of what happened to both of them during the war, because both of them were accused of being Nazi sympathizers, and how that worked and why that worked that way, and Scap went to America, and why that worked, and how she could get back and forth from Europe, and that basically this rivalry, this horrible rivalry, was was something that they nurtured. They Mm -hmm. nurtured that sort of PR end of it. They created this myth of their rivalry, even though they were in collaboration with each other and had a very strong bond and really loved one another in my play. In, mm. in real life, I think they probably hated each other, but <laughs> where's the fun in that? So That one had a giraffe in it, right? Yes, it had a, the surrealist gentleman uh, who was a, a man in a tuxedo with a giraffe head. Yes, uh, Alan Moni was a wonderful actor, and he was patient enough to be the surrealist gentleman and sit in his, his giraffe mask for... for <laughs> Several days of rehearsal. And then the gala play. Gala Dali is, that's a fantastic piece. Gala was very devoted to the tarot. She made no moves without consulting the tarot, basing what she did and what she would do as far as Dali's career and work. And it was always, she always consulted the cards. So the story is actually told as a reading. It's also posthumous, she is dead. But she does a reading for the audience, and we used those cards, which are not real cards, in a in a tarot deck. They're like the black cat, and um, you know the the opportunist, and things like that. They they are not actual tarot cards, except for death, which mm-hmm. is the final card. And Heather, she was able to use that as the device with which we told her story. Yeah, Heather Jones of- is a wonderful writer and a great great friend of mine. And in two thousand, I gosh, I think it was two thousand ten, two thousand nine. She and I. And a wonderful writer named Alicia Harris formed a group called the Blue Scarf Collective, the three of us. And we actually presented, I think it was 10 shows in three years wow. um, that we wrote collectively or did pieces of our own into a, you know, a combined show. And of course, Alicia, you know, she's, she has a show in New York now called Is God Is. Very successful, went to Cal Arts, received the Relentless Award 
she's a wonderful, wonderful writer. And yeah, we did one called Triage that were three short plays each by one of us at the Palladium. And rather than have a break in between shows in which we would change the stage, we just had three different stage areas and the, and the audience had to turn their seats. It was, it was very, uh, very gratifying. It went very well. We were very happy about that. For me, it's the fulfillment of the creation. I'm very much the person who really likes the creative process. It's like, let's create this character. Let's put this show together. Let's do it. Okay, great. We did it. Okay, let's go do something else. The concept to me of, of being in a show for like a year is, is pretty daunting. I have a friend who's been on tour with The Lion King for over 12 years, and God bless her. I, it's like, wow, you are amazing. Yeah, I could yeah. never do it. I could never do it. I get really itchy and restless, and it's like, let's go, let's go to the next thing. Let's go do something. Here is actually the name of a play that you're in. Yeah, here spelled H-I-R, um, which is a um, gender-neutral pronoun. The play here by Taylor Mack at Job Site Theater. Well, tell us about your role in the show, your character. Well, her name is Paige. Paige is the, the mother of this family of four, and uh, it's very much not, uh, you know, your typical sitcom family, although it's, it's almost like a sitcom in the fact that everything is so extreme and so the stakes are so very, very high. She is now ruling her household uh, in a very strange and you know, anarchist way after her abusive husband has suffered a stroke. She's been oppressed and cowed and hurt all these years. And suddenly, when something as catastrophic as a stroke happens, it's gone, immediately gone. There's no threat. There's no danger. There's no this normalcy, you know, however perverse it may be, was gone. So she goes a little bit nuts in her anarchy and also has a, a young child, uh, Max, who is transitioning in gender transition. And she really gloms on to Max and sort of appropriates his journey as as sort of a, a grasp toward the future and this, you know, blowing up of the old and becoming the new and shedding this cocoon. And and then their other son comes home from the Afghanistan war. He comes back home to this house in utter chaos. And the father is dressed in almost like a drag queen clown. And, you know, he doesn't know that Max has been transitioning and, that, you know, she's got laundry everywhere. She doesn't do anything anymore. She doesn't do any order so it's, yeah, he comes back to that, and it's it's a lot of, of Isaac trying to regain some kind of composure and control for the household and the mother, their struggle against each other, both to accept each other, to love one another, and also to, to go toward what they think is the, the right thing to do. It's very, very dark. It's extremely dark. But at the same time, it's it's really, really funny. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortably funny mm-hmm. um, because you will find yourself laughing. I think, and sometimes people go, "Oh God, I shouldn't have laughed at that." Right, right. Um, but it, it's it's just so well written, and all of Taylor Mac's choices are so on point. It is such an extreme role. It is there's so much. The stakes are so high. The show opens at eleven and just blows through the back walls of the theater. And as a performer, as an actor, yeah, you learn a lot about yourself because you have to find out whether or not you can go to those places. Can you go to those extremes? Can you allow yourself the freedom and the right and the push to go there? Because there's some scary stuff. There's some scary places to go. And that really rests on a, on a great director who creates a safe space, who creates a space in which there is a lot of respect and and support 
One of the statements that the show makes is gender is not radical. It should not be an issue. It should just be, it should just be nothing. Like, like you know, brown hair. Brown hair, brown eyes. Five yeah. foot. No, no, no. What category are you in? How do I name you? How do I peg you? It's like, you don't. You just don't. And that's the one thing I'm trying to absorb and emulate and become educated, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. open and connected. People are so engaged and so affected by the show. A lot of transgender folk in, in the audience and an opportunity to see themselves on stage. It's an exhausting play. And Taylor Mac even says, you know, I want my audiences to leave exhausted. It is exhausting. It's exhausting to do. Sure. But it's also exhilarating and, and in its way cathartic for me as a, as a, as a person. That's a very positive thing to say about it. it mm-hmm. That is, it is exhausting because it, it it's not something that you just kind of sit back and, and let it wash past you. It will hit you. It will come at you. Well, one of the things that strikes me about the play is that it's a fantastic role for a woman who is not an ingenue anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. She's a mother, a mother of a grown son, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a woman, uh, you know, with a certain number of years behind her. Right. Who is, is this essentially the key character in, in this drama? It is a really terrific role for an actress that gets to be my age. Because, yes, we are often sort of relegated to the, the mom, the matriarch, and our roles tend to be either regal or dotty or just sort of there. And this woman is completely off the walls. I mean, the, the energy she's written with, the, the force and the power that she's written with, is it's a real treat to be able to play it, you know. You and I had a talk, and I was asking you how you became a playwright and a performer of a one-woman show that essentially is a show that is associated very specifically with you. Mm -hmm. And you presented the the concept that that was uh, almost a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. for you Mm -hmm. in the world of theater Mm -hmm. as you were becoming an older person. Yeah. Yeah, I was already playing characters that were older than myself because there, there's sort of a, a dead spot for actors, women, you know, of uh, somewhere between, I would say, 45 and 55. There's this sort of dead spot where there's not a lot going on. So I was playing a lot of older women. I was at great roles and played Emma Bruckner in The Normal Heart. And I played Nurse Ratchet, who really doesn't have much of an age. But, but uh, one of my favorite roles was Fraulein Schneider in Cabaret, and she's a much older woman than I was then, or even now. So a character, well, character women, it's a strange niche, you know, it's it's, it's sort of this kind of catch-all phrase, character woman, because they don't really know what to do with us. And as I was getting older, I I just really wasn't willing to sit around and wait for, for a role to come up that I really wanted to play. So I decided I, I really wanted to do Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking. And so I went to Bob, Devin Jones, at Studio 620, and Bob said yes, as he is wont to do. And he also directed the show. Mm. And I had a wonderful patron who was kind enough to help me monetarily to pay for the rights and, and that. And that was sort of, that was the first one-woman show that I did. And I enjoyed it. Why did you choose much. that particular show? Because... The writing is so exquisite. Didion is such a magnificent writer. I wanted to say those words. And Heather and I had already created the gala play, and that was a one-woman show. And I just enjoy it. I enjoy being a storyteller in that particular, very specific way. 
the, the next one of the next big projects I wanted to do, this is after I did Home Fires Burning, which is two pieces I wrote for two separate actors to do that were sister plays that fed one into the other without an intermission. And it was my friend Ann Morrison who came to me and said, look, you know, this this really needs to be just you. This needs to be one actor. And let's figure out how to do it that way so that we can take the show up to New York to United Solo. So we did that. And that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. And and actually, Home Fires just had a wonderful life. It's it's traveled quite a bit. What is it about? It's two sister plays. The first one is called uh, Everlasting Moon. And it's a young girl who she has, she is lost and she's looking for her home. And she climbs the trees at night for safety. She escapes basically from a government orphanage. And then it feeds into a sister play called Paradise Whiskey, which is an older, much older, disfigured woman sitting on her front porch and explaining to this sort of government worker, you know, they they go out and check on her every year to make sure that she's not ready to go to the home or wherever she's supposed to go. And she's explaining to them why she's not ready to leave her homestead and why the, the claim that she has staked on it and how she's earned this place of her own. And it's been very good to me. It's been a, 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 and it's a lot of fun to do. I enjoy it. But I had decided then I wanted to adapt a, pl- a play from a novella by Colm Tobine when he wrote The Testament of Mary. It's all written in the first person. It's brilliant. It's about Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's several years after his death. And it's it's not religious at all. It's really the story of a mother whose son is torn away from her and, and she loses him to new ideas and sort of radicalism and, you know, violence. And it's it's not unlike what mothers are going through in the Middle East now. And I wanted to adapt it, but suddenly it's like, oh, look, Fiona Shaw is doing it on Broadway. So I had been researching while I was looking at adapting the, the novella and kind of reading the Gospels and looking at different things and started to realize that the woman who was Mary Magdalene is really very much more, to me, was much more intriguing because she's actually mentioned in all four books of the Gospels. And she's the only person cited as seeing all the major events. And I thought, well, there's got to be something there. So I started charging into the Gnostic Gospels. There is a Gospel of Mary. A lot of research about that period of time and ended up writing what became a novel called Upon This Rock, mm-hmm. The Magdalene Speaks, because it was getting a little too wordy, too long to just be a play. And yeah. I thought, well, I'm just going to write it anyway. And yeah. if it's a book, it's a book. Great. And then from that book, because it's written in the first person, I was able to cut it down into the, the stage play. And that premiered at the Dolly Museum. They've been very, very good to me. They've premiered all of my work, mm-hmm. and it's always been a really nice collaboration. I, I go from the Dolly to the studio at 620, mm-hmm. and then I will usually take uh, the show down to Sarasota to friends of mine who have a, a venue down there. Collaboration seems to be one of your strengths. I love collaboration. Yeah, I do. What do I you do. love about it? I like being able to really appreciate things that I can't do that other people can do and vice versa. My show, The Dream Child, The Trial of Alice in Wonderland, which was also written for the Dolly when they did the Disney exhibit, was the first time I used voiceover in a show, used sound. 
my director tech person, Matthew Ray, he was able to create this sound with me, this soundscape of these voices from her past, from Wonderland, from the book that come to her. And she's 80 in the show. And then when I took the show from here to New York, it, it also played in Catskill as part of their actual regular season. And then it was redirected by John Soule. And his vision was so beautiful that the set that he created, because he's in a stateroom on an ocean liner called the Berengaria. It's a true story. She crossed from the UK to New York for the centennial of, of Dodgson's birth, of Lewis Carroll's birth, and uh, this very huge event an expo with Columbia University and she was given an honorary degree and all of this sort of thing. And one of the things that she was going to do when she was in New York was actually see the original manuscript of Alice, which she used to own. It had been given to her by Lewis Carroll, but she had had to sell it because of financial difficulty through, you know, after her husband died. So her whole story gets told through her. She's trying to write her acceptance speech for this honorary degree, but she keeps getting interrupted by these voices from Wonderland who are asking her, you know, why who are you now? Who are you? Why would you leave us? And why should we let you back in mm. to Wonderland mm -hmm. one more time? I've been very fortunate to have people who are willing to work with me year after year in New York and in different places. And it, I love doing that. I love just going up and working with people that I've worked with and have a relationship with. And we trust each other and we know a little bit about the way we work and the collaboration is already there, you know, and that's great. But new collaborations, you know, meeting someone new and starting up a new relationship is always very exciting too. And I've been very gratified with how the art community and how the, the life of art here in Pinellas County has grown since I was a kid. I went to high school here and there was nothing there was nothing to do for a young person in the arts at all. Mm -hmm. And now there's such an abundance of things to do. You know, it's sometimes hard to choose. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. Having a relationship with job site in Tampa has been really gratifying as well because there's a, there's a whole other community to tap into over there. It's exciting to live here now. I love, re I really love research. I love the research part. I researched the Alice plays when I was in Green in New York at Chenango River. And once the show was up, I had a lot of quiet time. And the research is great. And at some point during the research, it stops being me taking factual notes and starts me being me having a conversation. In 2016, I started a new show based in the historical figure of Lady Macbeth, of who she actually was and what the historical facts that we have, which are very sparse, about her and Macbeth and her life. Lady Macbeth was started at an artist-in-residency in Hawthornden Castle in Scotland. Wow. So that was great. Now that will actually be a sister play with an adaptation I'm doing of Shakespeare's Macbeth. There'll be three actors in that show, so I'm getting more people on stage. You mentioned The Tempest. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It was very exciting. It was such a beautiful production. We had uh, original music that was written for the show. There's a great deal of musicality in the show. A lot of Ariel's spells and a lot of the pageantry were original uh, works that were written by Jeremy Douglas from Tampa. Our Ariel did silk work. Katrina Stevenson was really kind of brilliant, this silk work that you see in places like Cirque du Soleil. And I played Prospero, who is traditionally played by a man, but has been rather famously played by women lately. I know Helen Mirren. 
I loved the doing Prospero as a woman because it's very much in tune with sort of the Me Too things that were happening as a woman who was very much wronged by men in society and sent away and has an opportunity to set things right. Very exciting. And also, because Job Site, the Shakespeare, has an added component where we have student matinees and we are able to bring students into the theater for daytime performances. And a lot of them are underserved schools. And it's great to to really have kids engage with Shakespeare mm. the way they do. And they really get it. They're not bored and they're not, you know, wanting to get out as quickly as they can. They're really great audience and they're, yeah. they're very on top of what's going on. It was so fulfilling for me. Well, it's really interesting. You've talked about yourself collaborating and working in relationships. And as I listen to you talk about things you've done with others, the respect and the joy and the honoring of everyone else's work is so consistent in the way you speak. And I, I, I just want to sort of value that for a minute and well, thank thanks. you for that. You know, we don't do this alone. You can say, you know, a one-woman show or any of that. We don't do this alone. And, and, we, and we don't do it solely for ourselves. It's, it's something that you are giving to other people yeah. and hoping that they will receive. So you've really found a way to build a very fulfilling artistic career in, in a field that I think breaks a lot of people's hearts. Yeah, it's hard. It's very, very hard. I mean, it, and it all boils down to human and artistic relationships with people. It's, it's the people that you find who have a like-mindedness, similar work ethic, just a similar kind of inner rhythm. And those relationships are what build, I think, work. Well, thank you so much. Thank this you. Has been I appreciate really it. Great conversation. Thank you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.